0: good morning church this morning we'll be reading in chapter john i'm sorry book book of john chapter 17 uh, verses 20 through 26 you can find that in the pew bible on page 903 continuing jesus's high priestly prayer is what this is called so we're starting in verse 20 of chapter 17 going through 26 the end of the chapter This is God's Word.
1: Well, good morning again, everybody. We, we have done it. We've made it to Grace Gives once again. Like I said in our announcement time, if you're new with us, this is a, a very important day for us as a church. We're kicking off a week-long um, outreach into our community. It's something that we've spent a lot of time thinking about and praying about and planning for. Probably most of us have no idea the countless hours that go, go into this behind the scenes. Um, everything from making sure there's enough car wash supplies to food that's even right now being prepared in the, in the kitchen. And then just all the prayers that God would send us just exactly who He wants to the camps and to VBS, and that we would, as a church, be unified as we move out together in His name. So I hope that you're excited. We are excited. We've been in the uh, Gospel of John, chapter 17, looking at the prayer of Jesus. And we've been — this will be our last Sunday in that prayer. And we've been calling it glorified to glorify God, because that's the whole point of Jesus's prayer. If you look at, you know, exactly where Dorothea started reading, verse 20, I do not ask for these only, that's the disciples, but for those who will believe. That's us, church, that's us. So this is a prayer for you and for me. This is a prayer for Grace Baptist Church. It's a prayer for every Christian over the last 2,000 years that we might be glorified to glorify. That's the prayer, that we would be glorified by God in order to glorify God. And oh, what confidence that should give us, oh, what courage, oh, what strength, oh, oh, what encouragement to know that the Lord Jesus Himself has prayed for you what are the odds that that prayer's not getting answered? Zero. (laughs) Zero. This prayer's getting answered. And I want to submit to you that it's it's going to be answered this week. This prayer is going to be answered right before our very eyes. Our sermon title today is, Our Witness in the World… Glory, unity, and love. So, we're going to talk about those three things how Jesus, how God, how the Trinity has shared glory with us, unity with us, and love with us, so that we can take that out into the world. Into the world. Now, last week we talked about the world, and this is where it gets a little tricky, because sometimes some of these words, they can shift in their meaning. So last week I preached a whole sermon talking about how the world is a system. The world is a system. But today when we hear the word world, we're going to think about the, the people of the world. Remember last week we said that God is sending us, Jesus is sending us into the world, And we're going to talk about today how much God loves the world, the people of the world, and how we too can love the people of the world. So here's… I basically have one lesson today, one thesis sentence, and then we'll… and then we'll work through the passage to try and support our thesis sentence, okay? So here's our… our thesis, our lesson, our expression of God's glory, unity, and love is a vibrant witness to the world of God's love for them. When the church expresses God's glory, expresses God's unity, and expresses God's love, that's when the witness begins. That's when the witness begins. So let's start today with the idea of glory. Look at verse 22. I'm going to put a lot of verses up on the screen this morning. A lot of verses on the screen. Verse 22, Jesus says these these huge words, the glory that You have given Me, I have given to them. Let that soak in. Jesus is talking to God the Father, and these are His words, Father, the glory You've given to Me, I'm giving to them. Wow. That's… that's huge. That's enormous. Jesus shares His glory with us. But what does that even mean? I mean, the word glory alone is a pretty abstract concept. Does it mean, you know, does it mean that He's sharing His meaning or His purpose with us? Yeah. Maybe He's sharing His identity with us. Yeah. Likely, it means that. He's, he's sharing His significance and He's sharing His purpose plans with… yeah, it likely means all of that. But I want to talk this morning when Jesus says, I'm sharing my glory with you, I want us to see glory in two things. The first is the cross, the glory of the cross, and then secondly, the glory of heaven. The glory of the cross and the glory of heaven, or being in the presence of God. Okay, but to do that… now stay with me Stay with me. To do that, let's go all the way back to Exodus. All the way back to Exodus. Now, we are, we've been preaching through Exodus here at Grace for the last several months. And so we're all basically experts in the book, aren't we? So (laughs) here's the problem. What I'm going to reference today, we haven't gotten to yet in the book. So I don't expect you to know all this, okay? There's this great story coming up in Exodus where the people have sinned, and Moses goes before God to pray for the people, and he utters one of the most amazing prayers ever, Lord, show me your glory. You know it. You know it. Lord, show me your glory. And I'm going to make a long story short. God does it. Moses goes up on the mountain. God says, I'm going to show you my glory. You know, there's a whole, like, I'm hiding you in the rock thing. But God passes by Moses, and as God passes by Moses, he cries out his name. He cries out his name. we just sang, all for your name, all for your name. What's God's name? The Lord passed before Moses, and he said, the Lord, the Lord. A God of mercy, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Here's my name. Here's my glory. I am merciful. I am gracious. I am full of steadfast love and faithfulness. God is declaring his character, his nature. To Moses, and he's saying, "That's my glory." In John chapter one, John says the same concept. John 1.14, This is how the book started, and the word that's Jesus became flesh. So the word is in heaven. Jesus is in heaven, but he takes on flesh, and he dwells among us. That's Christmas. That's the incarnation baby Jesus in a manger, God becomes flesh. God becomes a person, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only begotten or the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Grace and truth. We've seen Jesus' glory, and it is his grace and truth. Exodus 34, here's my glory, steadfast love, and faithfulness. Are you seeing it? Steadfast love, i.e. grace, faithfulness, truth. God's glory is His love and His truth. You say, well, Brady, what does that have to do with the cross? Everything. 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 The prayer began, Jesus' prayer, verse 7, John 17:1, His prayer began this way. Father, the hour has come, glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Now here's what we know. When Jesus says the hour, he's talking about what? The cross. The hour is the cross. So here's what Jesus is praying. He's saying, the cross has come. Glorify me. What is Jesus saying? He's saying the cross is the glory of God. The cross is the glory of God. Okay, let's put it all together. Grace and truth, where is? did God's grace and God's truth collide? The cross. The cross. The cross. The cross does two things. It tells us two things. It expresses two things, God's truth and God's grace. Here's the truth. Here's the truth that the cross tells us. We are so sinful, we are so wicked, that God has to die for us. That's the truth of the cross. That's the truth of the cross. And nobody can escape that truth. Not a single person in this room, not a single person out there in Bowie Crofton, not a single person on the planet can escape that truth, that you are so sinful, so impure, so in debt to God that you, you not only deserve to die, but in order to reconcile that, God himself would have to die. But here's the grace. God did die. Here's the truth. God has to die. Here's the grace. God did die. God chose to die. For you, for me. So the truth and the grace are colliding in the hour, in the cross. God is so pure, so holy, that the only sacrifice he can accept, the only sacrifice he can accept, has to be just as pure and as holy as God himself. And there's only one human being that meets that bill Jesus Christ. Because he is God who became a person so that he could be the pure and perfect sacrifice. And you can't escape that truth, and I can't escape that truth, but the good news is, he did it. He did it. So let me ask you this question this morning. Have you embraced these two truths? God had to die for me. God did die for me. Have you embraced those two truths? Do you believe them this morning? Are you basing your life upon those two truths? I don't mean you embrace them intellectually, I mean you embrace them as the hope of your heart. That if I had to stand before God today, if Brady Walcott had to stand before God today, and God said, Hey, Brady, why on earth would I ever let you into my presence? I would not pull out some list of all my good deeds. Well, in the sixth grade, uh, no. <laughs> that's ridiculous. Do you really think that that's going to work in front of a pure and holy and righteous God? No. No here's what's going to happen. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to tell you, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to stand in front of God, and He's he's going to say, hey, Brady, why why on earth should I even let you into heaven? And I'm going to say, because Jesus Christ took my place. And God's going to say, correct answer, Brady. (laughs) Enter into the joy of your Lord. What's your answer? What's your answer? The, Isaiah, the, the prophet Isaiah, he put these two thoughts together as well. The cross and glory, the cross and glory, glory and the cross. In his prophecy in Isaiah 52, he says these words Behold, my servant shall act wisely, he shall be high and lifted up, and shall be exalted or glorified. Isaiah is prophesying someone who will come, who will be a lowly servant, he will serve mankind. And then God will raise him up and exalt him and glorify him. And then, but then look at the very next verse. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beho- beyond human semblance, his form beyond that of the children of mankind. And if you know this passage, you know he continues to describe a crucifixion. Isaiah says there's a servant coming who will serve the world and be exalted by God. And what will that look like? A person so marred, so tortured, so ripped apart that we can't even tell it's a human being anymore. That's the cross. That's the cross. You see, Jesus knows what we all need to know. Jesus knows that there is no glory of heaven without first the glory of the cross. There is no glory of heaven without first the glory of the cross. Jesus knows, like that top picture, he knows in order to have the glory of heaven, he has to first pass through the glory of the cross. Jesus knows that if He doesn't lose it all, if He doesn't set it all aside, if He doesn't embrace sin, if He doesn't embrace our debt, our punishment, if He doesn't make Himself helpless on that cross, He, he is not worthy of the glories of heaven. And He did that for you and me. And yet we, that bottom picture, we tend to think that life is about jumping over the cross in order to get straight to the glory. And it's not. It's not. I'm not saying we have to die for our sins, but I am saying that Jesus has established a pattern. Jesus has, is, has taught us something that every Christian has to embrace the glory of the cross in order to find the glories of heaven. We have to go through loss to have gain, weakness to have strength, humility to have exaltation. And here's the thing, here's the thing, here's what we don't realize. The cross is glory in and of itself. Suffering is glory. It's not just that our suffering leads to glory, It's not just that the cross led to glory. It did. It did and it does. But the cross itself is glory. The cross is where grace and truth meet. The cross is where steadfast love and faithfulness meet. It is glorious. We must embrace this, church. We must embrace this. Think of all the ways this week as we do Grace Gives that we might try to jump over the cross. We want to jump straight to the miracles. We want to jump straight to the transformations. And, And a big one is we want to see big numbers and all of these things that appear to the human eye, appear glorious, when God might be saying, no, I want you to carry a cross. I want you to carry a cross. I had way less kids in my VBS class this year than last year. (sighs) No, that's glory. That's glory. I spent an hour talking to them at the car wash, and they didn't even listen. That's glory. That's still glory. We got kicked out of Bowie Town Center while we were trying to hand out those little gift cards. No, that's glory. That's glory. We're going to clean up this yard, and probably a year from now, it'll look terrible again. No that's glory. That's glory. We're doing all these these church volunteers, they're not signing up, and they're all complaining. Er No, that's glory. You're not doing that, are you? No. No. I made that one up completely. You say, Brady, how is all of that glory? Because every single one of those deaths, crucifixions, creates in us the likeness of Christ. They force us to ask the deeper question, will I trust God even when it all doesn't go the way I want it to go? Even when it's not all huge miracles and fireworks shooting off, rainbows and puppies, when it's not that, will I still depend on the Lord Jesus? That's glory. Paul said it this way, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his what? Suffering. Becoming like him in his what? Death. How do we become like Jesus? Every Christian in here would say, I want to be more like Jesus, wouldn't you? If you, if you can't honestly say that, then I don't know if you're a Christian. <laughs> I, have to, I have to ask that question. I want to be more like Jesus. Well, let me tell you something. To be more like Jesus, you got to die. you got to become like him in his death. you got to become like him in his suffering. Look at verse 24. I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Now Jesus is shifting. Remember I told you there's two glories, the glory of the cross and the glory of heaven. The glory of the cross, the glory of heaven. The glory of being in his presence. Here in verse 24, Jesus is talking about the glory of being with him in heaven. We have the glory of the cross now, and we have the glory of heaven later. We have the glory of the cross now. We have the glory of, the he- of heaven to look forward to. Christian, do you know that this isn't heaven? Have you figured that part out yet? <laughs> then why do we want it to be? Why do we think it's supposed to be? That all of our dreams are supposed to come true now. This ain't heaven. This isn't the promised land. You're in the wilderness. I desire, look at Jesus' desire. I desire that they may be with me. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus is praying His desires, and what's His ultimate desire? That we would be with Him forever. John 14, I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am, there you will be also. That's our hope, Christian, isn't it? That's what allows us to take up the cross. How did Jesus, psychologically, how did Jesus take up the cross and do it? Do it. Do it. Torture. Death. How did He do it? Hebrews 12, because of the joy set before Him. He endured the cross. What was the joy? You, me. If I go through this, we will be together. For the joy set before us, can we endure the cross? Heaven is where we'll see the glory of Grace Gives. Heaven is where we'll see the glory of all we do as a church and all we do individually as a Christian. Will we see some glory this week? Of course we will. Praise God. He's kind. He's going to let us see some really cool stuff this week. I know he is. He always does. He always does. We're going to see kids paint really cool art projects. We're going to see some kid make a layup who's never made a layup before in his life. We're gonna see. We're we're gonna see a, a yard that hasn't been cleaned up in months be be made to look like the Garden of Eden. We're gonna see cars roll in with dirt and and we're gonna wash that car clean and it's gonna roll away and we're gonna go glory hallelujah. We're going to see smiles on faces in nursing homes. We're going to we're going to cry tears and sing songs and we're going to pray prayers that will be answered and we're going to see lives changed. Praise God. Praise God. But listen to me. It's the glory that you don't see this week and won't see this week and maybe will never see until you get to heaven that has to sustain you. It's coming. It's coming. God is preparing a glory for us beyond anything we will see on this earth, isn't He? He is preparing a glory for us beyond anything we'll see this week. And these glories, the glory of the cross, the glory of heaven, this is what unifies us. Back to verse 22. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. Why? That they may be one, even as we are one. You see, Christians, when you grab hold of the glory of the cross, the glory of sacrifice, and you look forward to the glory of heaven, that unifies us. How? How? Because look, all the other lesser glories that you could strive for this week, they melt away, don't they? The selfish ambition, the pride, the conceit, all of those start to fade. When you begin to realize, no, I'm supposed to set my agenda aside, I can embrace the cross, and that's glory. And no, I can look forward to how heaven will reveal all things, and that's glory. I don't have to lose my mind over what's happening right now today. And so when you want to go into the event and you want to, you want to go to the car wash or, or whatever, you want to go out there at lunch, you know, in a little bit, we're going to pray. We're going to go outside. We're going to eat lunch. And you want to go and you want to get back there. And you're going to say, I can't believe this line is so long. I'm going to starve to death. Why didn't they set up more tables? Hey, Brady, why didn't you set up more tables? That's division. Amen. That's division. I mean, let's just be real. Let's just be practical. That's not glory. Will you complain? The thing you want to complain about, will you complain about it in heaven? Because if you won't, then why do it here? (laughs) But it's not just the cry for unity that's so amazing. It's the basis of our unity. Verse 21. Look at this. This is amazing that they may all be one, amen. We are one, one faith, one Lord, one baptism, one God and Father of all. We come to one church, we hear one sermon, we sing the same songs, we wear the same shirts, we're going to take the same communion. We are one, but why are we one? Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. What? What just happened? <laughs> what did he just say? Okay. Father, Son, Father in Son, Son in Father. This is, this is the Trinity, and no doubt it's hard. It's mystical, it's spiritual, it's deep. But here's what we know. God is one, and yet God is three. Father, Son, Spirit. And the language that Jesus is using is that they are in each other. They are perfectly distinct and unique. They each have a different role, and yet they share the same essence, the same purpose, the same mind, and the same character. And now Jesus is saying, I want to invite you into that." That's incredible. That's incredible. See, our unity is the overflow of the Trinity's unity. Our love is the overflow of the Trinity's love. We are in God. Jesus is inviting us to be in God. Now, you might, you might want him to say, you might think Jesus is going to say, um, Father, help all these Christians to know that they're in each other. That's not the prayer, is it? That's not the prayer. Because you know what that would mean? That would mean we're figuring it out on our own. He, no, he says, let them know that they are in you, Father. That they are in you. Because here's why. Look, look. I, Take this the right way, but it's not because I love you guys that I do what I do. If the church's mission was founded upon our love for each other, (laughs) right? Can we all agree it would have lasted about a weekend? Maybe not even, (laughs) Maybe not even. It's not founded on I love you, you love me, happy we will always be. It is founded upon God loves me. God loves me. I am in God. God is in me. I abide in his love. His love abides in me. And the overflow is that I start to figure out how to love you guys. I start to figure out how to love you guys. But if, if Jesus is waiting for our love to be perfect, or it's not going to happen. And we're not going to go out there today. You have got to understand where you are in Christ. You have got to understand where you are in Christ. Verse 23, Jesus says, "'I in them, you in me, that they may become perfectly one.'" Christian. You have to first embrace your relationship to God and your position in Christ. Then you can move out. Then you can go forward. Then you can figure out how to love the world and love one another. Until we do that, we're going to be racked with our own agendas, our own selfishness, our own purpose. And that's not glory. And that's not unity, is it? He goes on, the rest of the verse, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. Our unity, our shared glory with Christ, our unity with one another, lets the world know that they are loved by God. Do you see it? That the world may know that you loved them. There's a lot at stake. It's you know it's Romans 10. How will they know, how will they know if they don't hear? How will they hear without a preacher? Our love, our unity, lets the world know that they are loved by God. For God so loved the world, God loved us and sent His Son. God loves the world, doesn't he? This is the goal of Jesus' prayer. This is the climax of the prayer, the whole point of the prayer. Not that we would all join hands and sing kumbaya. Not that we would all have a nice meal out back together and have a little church picnic and then all go home. Not that we would come to church every Sunday and pat each other on the back and affirm one another and then go our separate ways and ignore the world. No, the point of the prayer is that the world might know that God loves them. That's why we're here. That's why, we said it last week, that's why God hasn't beamed the church up, taken us up into glory. We are left on earth so that the world would know that they are loved by their creator. Let's review the prayer. The prayer started with Jesus saying, praying first, I got to be glorified. And we know what that means, the cross. So first part of the prayer, God, I know I got to die. Father, I know I got to die. Give that to me. Give the cross to me. Second part of the prayer, I'm holding on tight to these 12, these 11. I'm holding on tight to these 11. I'm holding on tight to the apostles. That's the second part of the prayer. And now, here we are in the third part of the prayer. The apostolic witness has gone forward for 2,000 years, and here we are, Grace Baptist Church, the third part of the prayer. What's the prayer? The prayer is that we would be formed in love and unity so that we might be the visible expression of the invisible God. That's why we're here. That's why we exist. Verse 26. I made known to them your name. I will continue to make it known that the love, let this soak in, Christian, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Here's the prayer. Father, let these Christians know that the the same love, the same love the Father has for the Son is now in you. If you don't, Christian, if you don't think you're loved this morning, you're wrong. If you think you're kind of half-heartedly loved, if you think God kind of tolerates you, if you think God's love for you can get bigger or smaller, You're wrong. If you think that God's… the love of the Father can get bigger or smaller for the Son, do you believe that? Do you think God loves the Son more today than yesterday? Do you think they have bad days? They get in little tiffs and they're like, I hate you. No, that never happens. It never happens. The Father always loves the Son. He always loves Him. He loves Him eternally. He loves Him fully. He respects Him. He honors Him. And that's how God looks at you. Can you believe that? It's hard, isn't it? It's hard to believe that. But that's what He's saying. We have to believe that. If we can believe that, now we can begin to love one another. What if, what if, what if we could go out of here today, this week, every week, until Christ comes, what if we could go out of here and say to other people, come find a place with us where you will be loved and cared for with the same love that the Father has for the Son, What if we could say that to people? Come experience a love that over time will transform your heart and mind and life. Look, our love, Grace Baptist Church, our love for each other is not perfect, but it is being perfected by the love of God. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? And then what if people could see that love in action? What if they could see it as they look at us? Here's the promise. Here's the promise Jesus makes. I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known. I will continue to make it known. Jesus is doing the work. Jesus is with us till the end of the age. Jesus is going before us, and He's making the name of the Father known. What is God's name? God's name is not God. God's name is the Lord, the Lord, merciful and gracious, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That's the name of God. And Jesus is making it known, isn't he? He's making it known. Church, our love for each other is the closest thing we have to being like God. It's the final apologetic. May we make God's name known by making his love known to the world. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, We're wrong when we think that your love isn't perfect. We're wrong when we think that your love is limited. We're wrong when we think that your love waxes and wanes. God, we're wrong when we think that your love wouldn't do the hardest thing ever. We're wrong when we think that your love is conditioned upon a response. And we're very wrong when we think That Jesus had to earn your love for us. That he had to do something in order for you to love us as if you didn't love us until Jesus died. No, from before the world began, you loved. You are love. It's impossible for you to not love. God, may that love, may that glory be in us. It is. We know it is. May we understand that. May we experience it, the experience of the cross, the experience of looking forward to heaven. May these things change our hearts, oh God. May they change our hearts. May they remove selfishness, pride, arrogance, conceit, demands, manipulations, and may they just... Allow us to rest and breathe easy and go forward into a world that often will not listen, might even hate us. The results might not be there this week. The results we want. The numbers might be not what we want. But Jesus, that's okay. Your glory is there. Your glory is in the sacrifice. Your glory is in the dying. Help us to understand that now as we take communion together. Help us to be unified around this this cup, this bread, which represent your life. Jesus, unite us. Unite us. Let our unity be our witness. Let our love be our witness. We pray in your name. Amen.